Hello there. Coming up on the show today, new music from Laura Marling, The Strokes, Eve's Tumor, Fiona Apple, and more. But first, there's this. Again, yes, it's These Are Suggestions, Mum, your fix of new music from me, your host, James Palm. How's it going, everyone? Hope your April has been swell. It's been a couple of weeks since the last episode. Been wrapping up April in that time, folks. Happy to have a couple of episodes here at the end of April to wrap up this month of music. We had a lot of good, we had a lot of bad, and we're going to cover both sides of that over these next couple of episodes. Going to drop a couple this week uh, as I've split things up genre-wise. There was a hell of a lot of good hip-hop and R&B that came out this month, and so I felt it only fair that we have this first episode here now that you're listening to with a bit more of your rock, pop, and electro kind of feel, and the hip-hop and R&B will have a second episode later this week that I sure hope I get up on time. But if I can't, then clearly I just lack discipline and isolation was never the problem. But we've got another selection of great stuff to look at this week. A couple of stinkers, I'll say ahead of time. Haters out there will be happy to know that we have our first negative reviews on this episode. Time to offend some people. Still some good stuff to come up, as you heard at the top. So we're going through chronologically again by release here, folks. This is not a ranking per se. I will score each album after I chat about it for a bit. And the scale here is the TISM scale. We are rating albums out of how many members of TISM would have come to a party that the band was throwing. That's seven the maximum score. No sevens through two episodes so far. We'll start things off with what I thought was going to be a trio of electronic releases. Uh, One of them didn't turn out as electronic as I thought, but more on that in a second. Starting then with probably the poppiest of the electro batch here, the new album from Lee Rodriguez, aka Empress Of, and this one's called I'm Your Empress Of. It's the third from the Honduran-American electro artist, and it starts with an audio clip of a woman I later find out to be Rodriguez's mother, speaking about her struggles learning English and adapting to America. She keeps popping up a few times throughout the album, so there's a big theme of identity running throughout I'm Your Empress Of. More than ever before, I think, the songs are overly Latin-inspired. Bit of Rain has a real bouncy steel drum beat. Void has some funky wooden percussion. Maybe this time sounds like it is literally blasting from a club in Miami. A half-expected pitbull to feature, but... No love there. In general, the music is geared more towards the club than Empress Of has sounded before. You Give It Up, that's with the U as well, so you know it's a club anthem, rolls along with a deep bass rhythm, and Give Me Another Chance has a very 90s house vibe. She even gets a bit 80s on Love Is A Drug with a beat right out of the Eurythmics playbook. It is definitely a breakup album, usual pop fare. All the songs here are dealing with missing someone, wanting someone back, wondering why we love it all, what's the point? Luckily, the music never gets as depressed as the lyrics. It's really danceable in an unabashed way. Ultimately, though, it's just good. The album is inoffensive, which 
is in a way offensive. You know, <laughs> like I want to be challenged in a way, and this album just exists for 33 minutes, just in and out kind of way. Uh, unlike Tobias Funke, I don't have any meat on this bone. Um, I'm Your Empress Of has a couple of great tracks, but just that. Uh, the party has four tisms. It's, uh, it's fine. Next up is the opposite, something with plenty of meat on its bone. It's the third album from Eve's Tumor, titled Heaven to a Tortured Mind. You know, already we're in darker territory. They are an experimental electro-rock act from the US, and they are on the perfect label, Warp Records, legendary label. Their sound is a warped, funnily enough, noisy take on rock, which has never sounded better than on this album. I was blown away by the amount of killer songs here. Medicine Burn has a psych rock groove that should make Kevin Parker weep. Superstars takes a guitar riff and bass line that you've heard from a million songs in the 70s and twists them into a dread-filled apocalypse. Dream Palette starts with similar chaos before dropping into a groovy space vibe with this great hook of Our Hearts Are In Danger. It's really good. Asteroid Blues is another spacey one. It really does sound like you're struggling to dodge asteroids as they crash into your ship. And these aren't even the singles. Gospel for a New Century is a sneering, fractured funk song with big horns, yet with a refrain of This Ain't By Design Girl, Take It Softer. Kerosene, oh sorry, that's an exclamation mark there. Kerosene, it's a dreamy Prince B-side that builds for a few minutes and then kicks in with some huge guitars. Tumor bills themselves as an experimental noisemaker, but this album is quite accessible. If you kind of like weird stuff to begin with, I guess. A lot of their earlier sound is diluted, but still present on tracks like Folly Empossé, which evokes a cold factory with its mechanical vibe. As I say, I was taken aback by my enjoyment of this album. Eve's Tumor has delivered something really solid here. Dare I say, special. This party has five tisms, alright? But, but Tumor is on the phone to a sixth tism who promised that they would come. So they might still get there. We'll see if they turn up. Five are there for now. And now the last of the Electro group, and the least. The new album from Canadian duo Purity Ring. These two had a big hit with Fine Shrine in 2012, and this is their first album in five years. Their heavily produced gothic pop hasn't changed at all in that time. Still vaguely creepy, but yet warm which is funny since the album is called Womb. There's no strong theme of childhood or motherhood here, though. It's more to do with the concept of the body itself. The album is strong out of the gate with the ominous bass of Ruby Insides and the highlight Pink Lightning. After that, things get a bit samey. What's that? Another slow, simple beat with Megan James's admittedly pretty but uninspiring voice? Another song with a vaguely interesting build for a disappointing breakdown? Huh. Not until the song Silk Spun, which is track 8 out of 10, is there a tempo that feels above 120 beats per minute. I'm not saying all songs need to be fast, no. I just want some variety in the rhythm if I'm not getting it from the instrumentation. Stardew is another good song that shows a pulse, and it's the last track. Too little, too late. I certainly didn't hate this album, but... I felt apathetic towards it. It was over and I felt 
no compulsion to listen to it again. But Womb by Purity Ring is not terrible. The party has three tisms. That's no disaster. No one will make fun of you for enjoying this party. You just might be one of the few, though. Now it's time to enter the rock arena. Not a keyboard to be seen on this next album. We've got the fourth from Australian rock band Violent Soho. It's called Everything Is A-OK. Poor timing with that album title, unfortunately. These guys feel like the closest thing Australia's had to genuine rock stars in the last decade, which is weird to say. King Gizzard are definitely better, definitely, but they're more of a cult band still. Soho sell way more units, so they have to be regarded as the bigger stars. But why, though? Why have we elevated violence Soho? They had some massive hits in Covered in Chrome and Viceroy. Great tunes. But I think their ascendancy comes down to a lack of competition. You see, around 2007, Australia discovered this wonderful new thing called electronic music. And suddenly, every new, young, hot artist was a kid noodling with a corg. You know, which is fine, not knocking electronic music. We just covered like three albums of it. But new rock music in this country was becoming scarce, at least at a mainstream level. So along comes this grungy early 90s Triple J band with diet Frank Black on vocals and all the forgotten rock fans out there just flock to them. This does sound like a rant on the band, but it's not, I swear. This is just what I thought as I was listening to this new album and being deeply unmoved by it. The songs have regressed to the old grunge influences from pre-Hungry Ghost. Right when they had more freedom to expand their sound however they wanted, Violent Soho went back to the safe stuff. There's a lot of angst which is to be expected. Singer Luke Boredom broke up with his partner and moved home with the folks, which inspires the best song here, Pick It Up Again. However, apart from that, there's few memorable moments that aren't reminiscent of better bands from the 90s. UMI, Jebediah, Supergrass, take your pick. There are only two tisms at this party. Uh, Another one was thinking about it, but then the boys called ahead and told him not to bother. Okay, and now I'm about to sound like a massive hypocrite, because the next album is also quite derivative of a bygone era, but... This album, I really like. (gasps) He's exposed himself on the third episode. Uh, This is called Viscerals, and the band is called, get ready, Pigs, 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 Pigs. That's right. Uh, You can call them Pigs Times 7 for short. They're totally fine with that. This is the third album from these lads of Newcastle-upon-Tyne and is an enjoyable retread of the finest moments of Black Sabbath. Now, James, now, James, you can't slag off one band for sounding too much like an old band and then praise another one for doing the same. Correct. Correct, old man. Yes, I can't. The difference here is Pigs Times 7 have evolved their sound to reach this point. Unlike Violent Soho, they did not start out grungy throwback, refine their sound, and then retreat to the old stuff. Pigs Times 7 started out making long, proggy space epics and have tightened up into the concise but still aggressive sludge metal they now produce. That's my reasoning. I'm sticking with it. The Sabbath influence here is obvious, definitely, but singer Matt Batty has more grit to his voice than Ozzy's raging falsetto. He howls 
It must be lonely living like you. Untie the tight rope on the excellent rubber necker. On new body, he yells. He tells me I'm possessed. Well, maybe he's right. I can do what I like. He gets some delicious wordplay in on world crust as he barks the anthem, make ends meet, end meet. <laughs> it's very, very good. The music here is thick sludge with a hard rock vibe, no showy solos, except for the track Halloween Bolson. At nine minutes, that's the closest they get to their old proggy ways. It has a very satisfying crescendo of shredding guitars, dissonant piano chords, and driving bass. The general ethos of the album is summed up on the final song, Hell's Teeth, by the lyric, I guess we're cursed, let's rock. Sounds good to me. This is, at 38 minutes, perfectly paced. There are five tisms at this party. I should point out, though, that one of the tisms here was the guy who ditched the violent Soho party, so that does bump the score up a little bit. But pigs, 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 viscerals is as delicious as bacon. Sorry to all the vegans out there who have now stopped listening to this podcast. Now we turn to another album with 70s influences, but of the cowboy variety. It's the new release from M. Ward, and it's titled Migration Stories. M. Ward exploded onto the indie scene in the early mid-2000s, teamed up with Zoe Deschanel in the duo She and Him, and was a member of the Monsters of Folk, an indie rock supergroup featuring himself, Jim James, and Connor Oberst. He's been a prolific guy, churning out an album of some description every couple of years. This is his 11th release as M. Ward, and it's a return to the hazy retro folk of his early recordings, after his excursion into classic rock on his excellent previous album, What a Wonderful Industry. His songs always feel old, despite sounding modern. Most of the time on this album, it's Ward and a guitar, but there's always something going on in the background, whether it's soft harmonies on Heaven's Nail and Hammer, or some gentle bass on chamber music. Coyote Mary's Travelling Show is a total campfire tune that sounds like Randy Newman on the open road. In the middle of the album, we leave the country and head into the city, as we get a big radio song in Unreal City, complete with chic synth and a da-da-da-da-da sing-along chorus. It's all there. That's followed by Real Silence, which has an even stronger new wave vibe. Then we get the twang of Along the Santa Fe Trail, and boom, we're in New Mexico. We're out of the city again. Ward's voice has always been laconic. He certainly doesn't sound any more enthused than usual. But he uses his gravel to approach Mark Lanigan levels on Independent Man to great effect. I kind of wish he would go further down that road instead of just roads he's travelled before. It's a solid album here, though. More enjoyable moments than not. This rather chilled party has four tisms. Our next album has an incredibly prescient title. It is called The New Abnormal, and it is the surprise new album from The Strokes. I must admit, I almost thought The Strokes were done. Seven years since their last album, which wasn't great in itself. I wager it has actually been 17 years since their last decent album. There, I said it. But they've lived on to create this, their sixth album, produced by known reviver of flailing careers, Rick Rubin. Let's get the headline out first. It's okay. The band obviously wanted to mix up their sound somewhat, but this album overly relies on 
wacky effects rather than any change to their compositional style, which sucks, because songs that could be better are dragged down by needless experimentation. The worst offender for this is Why Are Sundays So Depressing, which ruins some nice chord play with effects that make the guitars sound like angry robot bulldogs. Brooklyn Bridge to Chorus brings back the electro vibe from 1251, but feels like two different songs kind of absorbed together. Eternal Summer sounds like someone in the studio said, hey, Tame Impala are popular, why don't we try that? All this said, the good moments on the album are really good. Opener, the adults are talking and selfless. Open the album with two pure strokes melodies that fool around with some shimmery effects on the guitars and some disco hi-hats. The excellent At The Door shows off Julian Casablancas's strength as a singer and songwriter, and that's his vulnerability along with his sweet croon. And it's an example of good experimentation, starting off and kicking with some fuzzy organ synth. Bad Decisions is really fun, despite the chorus lifted from Billy Idol and the jangly riff lifted from the church, or maybe because of it. I also think the album just goes too long. It's not bloated, but excessive. You could easily shave a minute off of every song on this album. Despite all that, I still feel it's the best Strokes album since Room on Fire in 2003. That is the bar that has been set by that very first party. That seven-tism party that the Strokes came out of the gates with has been good enough to garner subsequent okay parties. And this one, four tisms are here. Four tisms are at this party, but it's mainly due to the reputation of that first one. Okay, we've had a little run of some average albums here in the middle, folks. Let's get to a run of some good stuff. We're going to start with the new album, the seventh album from Laura Marling. The UK indie folkster returns here with Song for Our Daughter. Now, that is a misleading title as Marling is not celebrating being a mother. She has no daughter and has acknowledged as much, saying that the daughter on this album is imaginary. Is the protagonist as well? Marling is well known for her confessional style of songwriting, but she's also said that the woman on this album could be any woman. Not like it's a mystery to solve, but as in it could be all of you out there. <laughs> any woman. Marling turned 30 earlier this year, and without trying to, but struggling to, avoid cliché, this feels like the most mature album she's made. Her voice is still beautiful, but it's not as fragile as it once felt. On Strange Girl, she has something approaching grit. Held Down, the second track, is a classic heartbreak song, it has a great toe-tapping beat, swaying vocals, and a nice bass line hidden amongst the acoustics. The middle of the album is the lore of old. Blow by Blow and the title track are slower piano songs, while on Fortune and Hope We Meet Again, she sings sweetly over simple solo strumming. It's kind of funny, the songs about sad topics are brighter, and the happy topics are the moodier songs. It's an album full of strong compositions all round, though. If you put some percussion and big production behind these, they transform into giant pop songs. And that's what's great about Laura Marling. She continues to write great music, fairly low-key, it seems. She just doesn't have that position in the female musician stratosphere. I don't know. I could be wrong. But I recommend Song for Our Daughter. This party has five tisms. Next up... While we were talking about The Strokes just before, another artist who's waited a while between albums eight years 
it has been since we've had an album from Fiona Apple. And she has just released Fetch the Bolt Cutters. It's her fifth album, just her fifth since 1996. It is always worth the wait, though, as Apple seems like one of the few people in pop music that feels real. You know what I mean? There's no, there's nothing manufactured about her. Despite entering the music industry at age 19, there's just no corporate sheen or influence in her. It's staggering. It is unfiltered and unique, every album with her, and this one is no different. Song after song of frustrated, angry, and vulnerable Fiona raging against the machine. Her mood is summed up nicely on Relay, where she repeats over and over, Evil is a relay sport where the one who burns turns to pass the torch. She won't be told to keep her opinions to herself on Under the Table. On newspaper, Apple comforts another woman who's been hurt by the same man. With that title, the implication is that this behaviour would make a big story. This is followed by Ladies, a slow folksy song also about female solidarity. For Her is a furious song with mostly percussion with Apple sounding off on her childhood abuser. There's a lot of heartbreak on this album too. I Want You To Love Me sets the tone at the open. Rack of His laments another lost love. The title track is a soft affirmation song with brush drumming and double bass. It's about releasing yourself from whatever cage you've trapped yourself or become trapped in. It also contains a delicious Kate Bush reference. Listen up for that one. Shamika is an uplifting song though. It features the rollicking piano of Apple's earlier albums. It's a recounting of her struggles in school and the one teacher who saw potential in her. Smart teacher. That song sticks out as the rest of Bolt Cutters sounds darker, Waitsian at times even. Everything I've described sounds dreary and uninviting, but far from it. The album is so engaging. Because of what I said earlier, Apple sounds real. The music is still playful and varied. We can get acoustic folk or tribal bass or industrial rock, and it all works. Fetch the bolt cutters should fetch some more ice from the shop because there are six tisms at this party. It's going off. From a legend to an up-and-comer, we have the debut album from Japanese-British pop singer Rina Sawayama, titled simply Sawayama. I had never heard of her before last week. I'd seen that her album was getting strong reviews and I thought I should give it a listen. Suffice to say, it was not what I was expecting. Sawayama also does some modelling, so I was dreading some Lana Del Rey vibes, but quite the opposite. This is really rock-orientated, with flourishes and licks that throw back to the early 2000s when pop music wasn't afraid of guitars. Avril Lavigne is cited as an influence, and I can hear that. But I also hear a lot of muse on songs like Who's Gonna Save Us Now? And they're another band that rode soaring riffs to stadium-level pomp, like we get on a few tracks here. It's not just flirtation with rock, either. The tracks Extra Small and STFU are practically new metal. It's so weird to hear. Especially since there's also a healthy house vibe with songs like Snakeskin and Comme de Garçon. I can't speak for how jarring that constant shift that you get on this album might be for someone who wasn't in high school when new metal was the shit. You know, like, I love it. Uh, and I think it really works well here because the whole album is kind of heavy. 
Even when it's not guitars, even when it's blips on Akasaka Sad or cheesy synths on Paradising, the sound is really full. Uh, so the hard guitars fit right into the general vibe. There is a decent amount of synth-driven songs too, with tighter beats and shimmery effects on Bad Friend and Fuck This World. Yeah, Sawayama's got a bit of an attitude, if you can't tell, and it's another reason that she can pull off this rock-pop hybrid so well. I really enjoyed this. So many repeatable tracks. Just, again, not what I expected at all when I heard about this. This party is well attended, folks. Five Tisms are currently inside, but there is still one member parking the car. Will they come inside? We will see. Okay, the penultimate album for today's episode. We're finishing with two Australian albums. First, it's the new one from Melbourne punk revival group, The Smith Street Band. Now, I know that Smith Street, along with Courtney Barnett, turn off a certain sect of music fans. For some, their thick Aussie accents are too much. I, I understand that, but I don't mind them. I'd prefer someone sound Australian rather than sing with a fake American accent like so many do. No offence, Americans. Uh, actually, maybe a little offence. Uh, <laughs> so album number five from Will Wagner & Co. If my memory serves me well, Wagner's hitting the 30 mark, I think, around about now. And the years have been good to his voice. It's less of the breathless strine and more of a confident, rounded voice. God is Dead, the opener, has him holding notes he would have struggled with eight years ago. That said, he does push the falsetto a bit too hard on Dirty Water. The biggest change to the band's style here is the hard pivot into U2 territory. Big Smoke and Heaven Eleven throw out the furious chord play of old for little one-note plucks and echoey pedals just immediately made me think of The Edge. The End of the World is the first appearance of full-blown synth effects, which do work with the band's barroom rock style, but felt like a blatant attempt at a single here. The lyrics continue along Wagner's vulnerable confessional style, with a heavy focus on his very public breakup with Camp Cope vocalist Georgia Mack. Losing It is a delicate look at that heartbreak, which is smartly and swiftly followed by the rocky profiteering and its repeated refrain of Everything's fucked, everything's fine. Perfect encapsulation of the band, really. Smith Street certainly tried to mix things up here, but it never really clicks. The title track is an awful folk gypsy synth anthem that is at best terrible Neil Young. Don't Waste Your Anger is good, but flawed. The party has four tisms. Staying in Victoria for our final album, it's the second from the Melbourne band, known formally as the Romy Vega Group, but otherwise RVG. This band was actually scheduled to support Faith No More on their national tour earlier this year, before the fit hit the shan, obviously. I'm not entirely sure how that would have gone down, to be honest. RVG are a very competent band, but I don't think they would gel with an older, angrier Faith No More crowd. I happen to like both. I can do weirdo hard rock and jangly guitar pop, which is what we have here on this new album, Feral. It's incredible to hear a band from Melbourne sound so much like a legendary Brisbane band, in this case, the Go-Betweens. Now, if you're Australian and you've not heard the Go-Betweens before, stop this podcast right now, or rather pause it, so you can come back later, listen to Before Hollywood, 
and realize your error. Thank you. This style of pop here is very common in Melbourne within the last decade, but RVG takes it to another level. The incredibly 80s jangle of Alexandra, Christian neurosurgeon, and help somebody threatened to derail the band into pure homage. But luckily, Romy Vega herself doesn't particularly sing like Grant McLennan or Robert Forster or any other really similar singer, but an amalgamation of them all. Admittedly, I do love this genre of music. R.E.M. are like a top three band for me, and they get aped a bit here too on Asteroid and I Used to Love You, which lifts the melody from Losing My Religion for its outro. If you're going to sound like a lot of older bands, then you may as well sound like the good ones. Perfect Day is a perfect Melbourne song with a wistful solo and a lament about the weather. Photograph closes the album with the only hint of grit on display, Mostly feral is fun. The lyrics are playful as well as morose. As for the party, well, there's four tisms here. Now, if, if I was a member of tism, I know I would attend the party. Whether that would bump it to five or not, I, I'm not sure. But RVG get four from me. All right, quick little list here today, folks. That's a few artists for you to check out. The next episode should be out, if not tomorrow, then the next day. And it is going to be entirely hip-hop R&B related. Quite a few tasty tunes on that next episode. A couple of anticipated releases for me as well. And hopefully you can join us again in the future on the podcast. I have been James Palm. Thank you very much for listening today. And don't forget, these are Suggestions Mum. <laughs>